0: Continuing our series in the book of Romans, Uh, we took a little detour last week for pastors Ron and Anna Rust, and I would challenge you if you weren't here to watch the message uh, online. It's on uh, YouTube, Facebook, uh, our website, homepage. They did a fantastic, uh, fantastic job sharing their hearts and their lives with us. And so we're back into the book of Romans, and I'm going to do a take on something in the book of Romans that I have very, very rarely heard anyone do, if at all. And I'm going to talk to you from the book of Romans a little bit, uh, but some other places too, about Jesus and mental health. Jesus and mental health. You say, whoa, that's a... Now, I'm not sure if I heard that before, uh, but I want to help you to look at uh, Romans chapter 8, which is kind of where we are right now, in a bit of a different way. Uh, This is a subject that is more front and center in our culture, probably than it's ever been, with good reason, I think. Uh, It's high time that this was um, looked at more closely and focused on more closely, and I think it's because uh, of the things that we see in the behavior that we see uh, in the culture, especially here in the West. And you know, we look at some of these figures uh, taking their own lives, uh, takes us totally by surprise. Young people struggling with, with at early ages Depression and anxiety and stress and self-destructive tendencies, and we see violence in the culture, the likes of which is kind of stunning. You know, if you live in the United States, I mean, it's not uncommon to look at the news and see yet another incident of an incident of another shooting and another, you know, apparently mentally very unwell person or people doing things like that and so that's probably what's caused the culture to start to look at this uh... in a more serious way than you know twenty thirty years ago well the bible has a lot to say about this subject an awful lot if you look for it uh... it's right there and so i want to talk to you from romans chapter eight um... And I'll, t- I'll call him Dr. Paul today. Uh, maybe you've, we, we sometimes call Luke Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts because we know he was a physician. Uh, we don't often think of Paul that way. But the way that Paul addresses the mind and the things that he has to say about the mind, you could almost call him Dr. Paul. Uh, not Dr. Phil, but Dr. Paul. So I want to give you Dr. Paul's recipe for mental health, mental health. You say, boy, I don't know. I don't know. This is strange. I never heard Romans this way. Well, just just hold on and and watch closely uh, to what he writes here. I'm going to read in Romans chapter 8 in the Bible's New Testament. This is verses 1 to 17 more or less. Uh, now, remember, there's no chapters and verses in the in the Bible, right? We put that in by convention. So he's not really starting a chapter. He's continuing what he was talking about before. And what was he talking about before? Well, he was talking about how you identify in Christ and your, your identity is in him. You're, 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 uh, uh, you've died, you've been buried, and you've been raised to new life in him. And so you, and you have the power to live a new life through his indwelling presence in your life. And then verse 1 of chapter 8, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Boy, that's a nice statement for mental health, isn't it? There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so he's talking about the whole thing of the Old Testament rules and laws and all of these things and how all those things do is show you your need of a Savior. So you're set free from that whole whole thing. And you're, you now have new life in Christ for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh or the sinful nature, that, that part of you, that uh, invisible part of you that pulls you away from God. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Very fancy theological language there, but again, saying the same thing. You now live a new life in Christ. Because you're, you've identified with his death, his burial, his resurrection, and have new life in his spirit as a result. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. Well, this is strong language, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Notice his references to, he's all talking about things unseen here. The mind, the sinful nature, or the flesh, the spirit, these are all unseen things. But the, the focus on on the mind of the person is quite quite staggering here. Uh, The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, notice how he's going to reference the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, and so on, all in one fell swoop. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, The spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Some people think that this is is referred to as perhaps physical healing uh, others say this is referring to a future resurrection, but clearly there's a change. The spirit of God comes to live in a person. This is a, we're talking about invisible things here. The mind is affected by this, apparently. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Boy, that's good for your mental health. Rather, the Spirit who you received uh, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That's good for your mental health. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. If you look at what he's saying about the mind here, it really is incredibly relevant, uh, not only to today's generation, but really across the ages. I mean, uh, I put it on your screen there on the left side. Those who live according to the sinful nature or the flesh, what? They have their minds set on what that nature desires or wants. It's very curious so there is, in his view here, there is a part of every person, this sinful nature, if you will, this flesh or sarx in the Greek. And this, according to his view, this, this is a pull away from the things of God. It's that thing inside you that makes you want to cross the line. When God says, don't cross it, you do want to cross it. You know, a bit like the child, and you you say to that child, don't you cross that line. And what does the child do? Of course, the first thing that they do when you're not looking is they'll step across that line. Or maybe while you are looking, they'll step across that line just to see what you'll do about it. And there there is this clear idea in the New Testament that we all have this thing that pulls us away from God. And here, the mind is set on what that nature wants. That if people live that way, their mind is set on what that nature wants. But if people live in accordance with the Spirit, and this is the Holy Spirit, the, the, the person of God, uh, the third person of the Godhead, if you want to use fancy language, those who live in accordance with the spirit, what? They have their mind set on what the spirit desires. So you have the mind, you have the sinful nature, you have the spirit, you have these things interacting with each other, and the results are quite something. So, the mind controlled by the sinful nature is death, he says. That would imply bad mental health. <laughs> the mind controlled by the sinful nature. But the mind controlled by the spirit is what? Life and peace. This is, um, you're not going to hear this in a conventional doctor's office. You know, you go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a a psychoanalyst. There's actually a psychoanalyst here today in the room. I won't zero him out, but he's here. You don't, in typical, you, you do not hear this kind of thing. You do not hear that, well, you've got a sinful nature and you see, There's God, and by his spirit, he wants to live in you, and he wants you to submit your mind. You don't hear these things. This is spiritual language. This is not what you're going to hear when you talk about mental health in the culture today. But Dr. Paul is very front and center about this. He's not trying to even prove the existence of these things. He's trying to explain how these things interact with one another. So I'm going to give you four kind of... uh, Pieces of the recipe for mental health from Dr. Paul, if you will, just jumping off of this passage. Number one, remember, the mind is both natural and spiritual. So your mind is not just a collection of neurons and tissues and brain cells and, you know, this is what makes up your mind and a, a collection of chemicals. And, you know, when you die, it just all stops and that's it. And uh, th- this is the conventional view, but the New Testament view would go further than this. It would not It would not cancel out the idea that the mind is natural at all. It doesn't nullify the idea that, you know, you've got a brain, you've got to... God created you and so on. You've got neurons and all these things interacting and brain chemistry and all this stuff, and this affects the mind. The New Testament, the Bible does not discount this or, or, uh, or say that this is not true, but it goes further, and it, it presents a worldview that the mind is also spiritual. There is a spiritual dimension to what's up here. You say this is making me feel a little bit strange here. I don't. But this is this is precisely what Paul is saying here. The mind is interacting with the spirit. The mind is interacting with the flesh. This is all spiritual language. You cannot prove this in a lab. You cannot look at this in a doctor's office. You cannot quantify this or measure this. This is all unseen stuff. But it's very, very real uh, to the Apostle Paul, not only here, but in a lot of different things that he writes. And in fact, if you think about it, it makes sense. You go way back to, to the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Whatever your view is of, you know, am I supposed to believe that there's really, a, you know, a real Adam and Eve and a real snake and all this stuff. Whatever your view is, I leave that with you. But look at the story on face value. What does the tempter do to convince Eve to eat that fruit? Well, he says, Eve... Look, God is lying to you. God told you if you eat the fruit of the knowledge that's in the mind, the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. It's not true. You're not going to die. The truth is what God hasn't told you is that you will become like him, knowing that's in the mind, good and evil. See, and that's the thing. God's lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. You're not going to die, so eat the fruit. So, of course, she eats the fruit. Her husband eats the fruit. I taught on this a uh, couple of months ago, and uh, this, this is the temptation. And then later on, when they get caught, God does say, you have now become like one of us, knowing that's in the mind good and evil. Overall point of the story, God prohibited them from that knowledge intentionally because it would hurt them. And the tempter comes along and gets them to take the bait, and the rest is history. But this is in the pursuit of knowledge. It all has to do with what's going on up here in your head, in your mind. There is a spiritual component to the mind. You will see this all throughout the scripture. Even if you look at the modern fascination with uh, occult spirituality and people, you know, trying to talk to doing everything from trying to talk to deceased relatives to trying to get their future figured out to all this stuff is now more and more and more mainstream. What this is, is the pursuit of of knowledge. That's what the word occult means is you're trying to find knowledge outside of God and you're looking for spiritual knowledge. And this is, of course, prohibited by God in this scripture, but he doesn't say that it's impossible. What he does is he prohibits it. So I think that it's, it's a very fair assertion here to say that the mind has a spiritual component. It's it's therefore quite important what's going on upstairs, right between your ears, that no one sees, that no one sees. Uh, Number two, part of Paul's recipe for mental health, and this is enormous, think about what you think about. Most people in our culture don't do that until they start realizing that they're thinking things that are destructive and they get into a place where they can't control that anymore. The scripture would actually challenge the person to constantly be thinking about what they think about and to take stock of it and to analyze it and to probe it and to confront it, so Paul to the Corinthian church in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, this is just one way that he says it. And here in context, he's actually defending himself against the attacks of some people in the church in Corinth. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Talk about things that you can't see. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish, watch the words he uses, strongholds. We demolish, number one, arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. And we look at this, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Wow, this is very, very strong. This idea of you're on the lookout for thoughts, arguments, pretensions, strongholds that oppose the knowledge of Christ and that try to set themselves up against the knowledge of Christ. All of this is up in the mind. This is not stuff that you can see. It's all taking place right up here. And so he's saying, I mean, you've got you've to look out for those things, and you're taking every thought captive, and you're making it obedient to Christ. Whew. Talk about being, being analytical in what you're thinking about. I mean, the New Testament, people talk about critical thinking today. Wow, if there's any piece of ancient literature that encourages critical thinking, it's the New Testament. I mean, think about what you think about is pretty direct. It reminds me of uh something I heard from a doctor one time and he said he said pills don't teach skills. You know, you can you can uh, folks, I'm the first person to tell you that there's a very real um it's very real that that there are people who in just in order to get the the, the the mind healthy, they need to get the the pistons firing correctly up in the brain. and I'm the first person to tell you that medication now is at a state I mean it's always they're always learning, always advancing. but there are cases folks, where people are dealing with whatever depression schizophrenia, psychosis, bipolar, uh, ADD, ADHD, AD whatever, I mean there's so many designations today and they need to be on some kind of medication and it needs to be strongly monitored by a doctor because the pistons are just not firing right and until they get the pistons firing right, just to use a basic example, their 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 mental health is all over the place okay so that's true but pills don't teach skills a person whether they're medicated or whether they're not medicated you need to think about what you think about and most times people just their mind is like a wild tornado and you know everything is in there and some of it's really bad um, and I, I, I use this example. It's not original to me. But just ask yourself if we had technology where we could put a couple of little probes up here, you know, one on the left side, one on the right side, a bit like a car battery, and then, you know, turn around and plug it into an outlet on this screen. And, and everybody in the room right now would be able to see everything that you're thinking about. How many of you would like that? Usually that's what I hear. <laughs> I hear, a, "No, thank you. No way, Jose." You know uh, why? Well, be, because there's stuff up there that you don't you don't want you don't want your neighbor next to you knowing that you think about such and such a thing, even right now while you're in a church service, right? So this the New Testament is saying you you need to think about what you think about, and it, you, you can dope up. All of these things, and some of them need that. You can, you can prescribe this and prescribe, some of them need that. But if the person still doesn't think about what they think about, and their mind is still a tornado, and they don't practice the skill of thinking about what you think about, it, the, all those pills don't do any good. It's like shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, another analogy I'll use, um, uh, it's like a, a budget, like a household budget in terms of money. Most people don't know what they spend their money on. And of course, they never have enough. Say, we never have enough, we never have enough, we never have enough, yet we live in Canada. It's like one of the most affluent countries in the planet, on the planet, and we never have enough, we never have enough. And then if you tell people, well, why don't you see what you're spending your money on? It'll probably take you at least a month to see what you're really spending. You take all your receipts, save all your receipts, you look at it. You'd be shocked, folks. You'd say, I can't believe I spent money on that, that much money on Starbucks in a in a month, you know. Sorry, Starbucks, or that much money on television or whatever. I you know, or I'm even spending things twice on the same thing and I don't need to. Like, but you don't know that until you take stock of what you spend your money on. And the mind is a lot like that. A lot of times people's minds are just to be a little bit crude, a little bit like a trash can, folks, you just find all kinds of trash up there if you were to look at it and see it because people are not thinking about what they think about. And this this is strongly, strongly encouraged in the New Testament. I mean, and when you do that, you're, you're creating some conditions for mental health there that maybe weren't there before. It's a bit like the, um, the diabetic is not going to go out and drink Coca-Cola. Sorry Coca-Cola, Pepsi. Sorry Pepsi, right? The diabetic, you better not see like a whole bunch of cans of Coke in their fridge because what are they doing? You took all the you took the medication but you're defeating the purpose of it by filling your body with all of that sugar, right? So pills don't teach skills. You still need to work on the skill. Think about what you're thinking about and the Other implication behind both these passages, Romans 8, 2 Corinthians 10, you've got a battleground up here. It's an intense battleground. Young people know it. Young people know it. Young people are battling. You can see it in the numbers, folks. It's it's shocking. You've got teenagers, preteens, adolescents who are dealing with like, self-destructive behavior, suicidal tendencies, anxiety, depression, all kinds of stuff. Folks, they're not sleeping at night. All kinds of problems at young, young ages. What is going on? There is a battle. Everything OK on the stream? I see you panicking. Okay, <laughs> If the camera dies, press a button. It'll wake up good. Want to make sure that the people at home are seeing it. So there's a battleground that's happening, and no one sees it, but it's right between your your ears, right upstairs. People often talk about, you know, this term, spiritual warfare. And the first thing that people think about when they use that term, spiritual warfare, is, you know, exorcisms and confrontations with evil spirits and all of this stuff. And this is true. This certainly happens. I've been involved in a couple of them myself. But folks, that's, that happens at the end of a process. And what has led to that process started up here. It started up in the mind. That is where the battleground of spiritual warfare is actually taking place. It's in the minds of people. It's in the minds of everybody. And here you have this tension in Romans 8 between the sinful nature, and the Holy Spirit. You read the book of Galatians, same thing. The, the the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful nature, and you're kind of caught in the middle. And you have to m- be aware of this and make a conscious decision as to what are you going to do with that tension and that conflict. Look at the language in 2 Corinthians 10, arguments, pretensions, Thoughts, strongholds, this is all battle stuff. The weapons we fight with, this is all language of, of war. Where is it taking place? It starts right up here, right upstairs, where no one can see. So you've got to be aware of that. If all you think is the mind is just a bunch of chemicals, there's no spiritual reality to it, and you know, okay, you can you can go that route but this is not the route prescribed at all uh, by Dr. Paul. He is aware of a very, very different recipe for mental health. Um, number three, the, the uh, uh, tip from him, what, therefore, are we feeding on? What are you putting in your head? Your mind is like a, it's like a sponge. It's like a very, very complex computer. It's, it's, it's ability to absorb and remember is astounding. People are still trying to figure out how this all works. People are still trying to understand brain chemistry and how, I mean, it, it's staggeringly complex. I mean, it's amazing that we've come this far and that you can actually help people toward mental health, even with adjustments to brain chemistry and so on. There are people who are mentally ill, as I've said, to a point where they definitely, definitely, definitely need that all their lives just in order to get the thing firing on all four cylinders. But again, beyond this, what are we feeding our minds with? So Philippians chapter 4, this is a great passage about this. So Paul writes to the church in Rome about the mind, the church in Corinth about the mind, the church in Philippi about the mind, the church in Colossae about the mind, the church in Ephesus about the mind. It's all over the place. Even in his letters to Timothy, you see stuff about the mind. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Oh, that's a good text for mental health. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Watch. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a, what a, Powerful text for mental health. But he goes on. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's a command, folks. It's not a suggestion. This is not a little pleasantry. It's a command. You have to intentionally feed your mind these things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace, great mental health passage, will be with you. What are you feeding on? What are you watching? You're watching on your screens thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of images per day. Mm-hmm. Day on your screens what are you watching you think that that has no effect on your mind thousands and thousands of these things on your phones on your TVs wherever you screens everywhere folks what are you listening to what's going in your ears you think that that has no effect? You listen to that song that deals with violence, destruction, suicide, anger, hatred, depression, uh, crime. You think that listening to that over and over and over again, all every single day, every single night doesn't affect the mind? Oh, well, I just like the sound. <laughs> I don't listen to the lyrics. Your mind does. It goes in your head, folks. It'll it'll find a nesting ground in your mind. Whether you realize it or whether you don't, it will because your mind is like a very, very powerful sponge. It will grab onto it and it will absorb. It will repeat. It will remember. It will learn. You will train it. What are you putting in there? Line up whatever you're putting in there. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Who are you talking to? What are you talking about? What are you reading? Who are you hanging around with? All these things, your activities, all these things affect your mind. You want to be mentally healthy, you've got to say, what am I putting in there? Because there's an old expression. Uh, we say, garbage in, garbage out. You are what you Eat, same thing is true for your mind, folks. You, you, you feed it with whatever, you, you, the output in your life is going to be the same. So you have to make a decision. We have, Paul says in Romans 8, an obligation, he says. We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. It is to the spirit. To live according to it. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This obligation, and we often skip over the word there, it's to the Spirit of God. You've got to intentionally submit your life to the Spirit of God. This is not this is not something that takes place overnight, folks. This is a learned lifestyle is a different way of living that happens as a person develops in their relationship with God. They learn to submit their life to the spirit. Now, they learn to feed on good things, learn to feed the mind with true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. You learn to feed it with that. And when you do, you start, you start, growing. Your mental health starts to change. I use this as a a time to advertise. Uh, I often look for media because people love media that's going to be true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. I often look for that uh, and like it when people consume it because it inspires people, it changes people. Here in this church, it's unique in that we meet in a movie theater, and on occasion, we're able to get a hold of a title that uh, does this. It's very rare, uh, but we're able to, and and sometimes we are able to get a hold of a title that no one else gets. And in the province of Quebec, this movie is uh, so far not opening, but we've got it. And this has happened a couple of times before. Uh, and we usually have a, a couple hundred people who come and show up to these things. And this movie, it just I just stumbled upon it, folks, on social media somewhere and started to inquire. I said, my goodness, what a what a story. This is a true story of the, it's really a movement that took place in the 70s, folks, That. That really transformed the, the culture in the United States, even in Canada. It affected Canada. In some ways, it's still going on. The, the, the churches that were birthed, the, the pastors that got into ministry, that changed lives. It's it just incredible. And they've put this to film. This is the people who made, I can only imagine which we screened here. It didn't come to Quebec, but we screened it here. I don't even know how we were able to do this, folks. It's kind of strange. I think it's a God thing. But so far, it's not opening in Quebec. If it does, it might open for one show somewhere, somewhere obscure. But we've got it March the 4th. We're going to screen it right here, okay? So if you can kill the lights, I want to play the trailer for you. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. What are you feeding? What are you putting in your head? Uh, I would encourage you to e- even get the tickets today, okay? And I'm gonna play this trailer. Uh, I hope you I hope you enjoy mm. it. Hey, square. I am not a square. I think we should invite Greg this weekend. What's this weekend?
1: These people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority.
0: I think these kids need help.
1: The need is a bath. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty. When God walks in here, brings me a
0: hippie, I'll ask him what it's all about, because I do not understand. This house has a very good vibe. <laughs> an entire generation searching just in all the wrong places. If you want to reach my people, you need to speak to them in a language they understand. If I bring them in, I'm going to lose my job. We can only walk through doors open to us. In your church, that's a door
1: that's shut. You've probably noticed we have some guests here today. I'd like you to meet my new friends. Welcome. They don't belong here.
0: Half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet.
1: They need our help. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, you will find forgiveness and freedom
0: right here. That was awesome! Now, that door is open any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well, then that door works both ways. All right, Pastor. Let's begin.
1: I was almost done with this, but then you did what nobody else would even dare.
0: This thing that we found feel like I belong. You're going to need a bigger
1: church. Our country is a dark and divided place, but now there's hope and it's spreading. This is your home and I want you to tell all your friends about it.
0: Okay, you can put the lights back on. So, yeah, we've got this movie on the 4th of March, and like I said, there's only really one way you can see it in the province and that's here, uh, at least for now. So um, I would encourage you to get the tickets. We've, we've got the price low, 10 for adults, five for kids. I would challenge you, invite young people to it. Uh, people who are not Christians will love it and be challenged by it and inspired by it. It might well end up being a little sleeper hit of the Easter season, it might creep in there. Uh, But that's part of the idea, folks, of filling your mind with things that are going to edify you and are going to bring you health and are going to teach you about submission and submitting your life to the Spirit of God. There's a great illustration of this happening in the United States right now, which some of you have probably heard of already um, over at uh, Asbury Theological Seminary in the state of Kentucky. And folks, uh, it, it's really, really encouraging to to see this. Here you have effectively a Bible college filled with mostly young people. They have a chapel service three times a week where they stop everything and, and uh, have the service. And uh, almost 10 days ago on a Wednesday, it just didn't end, folks. I mean, there's no smoke and mirrors. There's no fog machines, there's no fancy lights, there's no, no, nobody's really in charge, so to speak, there's no superstars there, it's really just a bunch of young people who are calling out to God and they don't stop. Uh, Last I checked, there were a hundred worship teams there, a hundred. They keep it going and going and going, there are people coming from all over the country, all over the world now to go and see what in the world is going on there There are live feeds that you can watch all over YouTube, and all it is, folks, is just people calling out to God, humbling themselves. You hear stories of, they interview people who go, and they're leaving, and they talk to them, and they say they confess sin, and repent, and call out to God, and pray, and humble themselves, and this kind of thing. There's no, there's nothing more to it than that, but it just doesn't end. And it goes on and on and on. There are lineups for miles outside of the building, the so-called Hughes Auditorium, of people trying to get in there even for a few minutes. It's really, really quite something to see. It's just people learning to submit their lives to the Spirit. That's one of the things you do, you pray. Right. That's why you pray. You pray. You, you consume the Word of God. You, you feed the mind in order to bring mental health to the mind. But you've got to be aware. Your, your, your mind is both natural and spiritual. You've got to think about what you think about. There's a definitely a battle going on there, and there's an obligation that you have. It's not automatic. There's things that you have to do in order to see, okay, now I've got mental health with God on my side. I'm not alone in the pursuit of mental health. Now I'm doing it, and I'm doing it God's way. And his way is a way that's going to stick. It's going to last. It's going to bring peace. That's what you hear from a lot of these people. People, young people who are interviewed, adults who are interviewed, when they leave this place in the United States, they say, the peace of God that I feel, the presence and the peace of God. You hear young people saying, I dealt with my anger issues. I prayed about them and confessed them to God. It's really something, really, really touching. Who can't be touched by seeing young people calling out to God incessantly and Staying in there and tarrying and and submitting themselves to God. But that's all part of the process. I'm just going to close the service in prayer. Musicians, if you want to come up and you can play a little bit as we finish up today. But um, I think there are people in the room. You relate to this. There are people online. You relate to this. In one way or another, it, it, this is a relevant, relevant subject. Father, I pray for people. And that battle is raging, even, even in these very moments that we're talking about it. They've got stuff bouncing around in their mind, Lord, and it's, it's out of control. It's a tornado up there. I pray in the name of Jesus that the spotlight of the Spirit of God would, would bring uh, light and bring conviction upon people. Uh, Lord, that we would start to see this your way and see it in a way that's beyond even what the culture is saying and, and goes into the, the reality of the whole spiritual element of this God. I, I pray for those, and Lord, they 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 understand it. I pray for people. There's people who are watching right now, probably, or who will watch, and they know they've they've been to the doctors. They they they're people who are medicated, and they know they know the discipline involved. They know the work that it takes. Uh, Lord, there's just people all over the map here. But I pray by your Spirit's power for each person, each person that you love, oh God, you would just challenge us and we would take one step closer to seeing our minds in a healthy place. Even in this culture, Lord, even with all the crazy messages that are fed to us, Lord, we would see peace. We would see joy. We would uh, be able to sleep well at night, oh God, and, and, and just that we would grow in this area and sense your spirit working on us and in us and through us. We pray together today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Remember to pick up your kids over in screen 11 and uh, you can get uh, tickets for the movie and the sugar shack will see you up on the mountain on saturday god bless you have a great sunday today
1: always will.